Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. We have the Old Testament that primarily emphasizes the Jews. And then we have the New Testament that primarily emphasizes the church. Hence, our Bible is made up of an Old Testament and a New Testament. Both the Old and the New were dispensed, given out by God. We talked about uh, dispensing and divisions last uh, last Sunday night. However... We're going to do some further dividing or drawing some lines. If we say that the Old Testament deals with the Jew. And we say that the Old Testament starts in Genesis chapter one, verse one. Do you see how me saying both of those things is problematic because we don't have a Jewish nation? (laughs) So we need to be careful that we say, well, the Bible's divided between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Well, it is, and we all get that, but the first 12 chapters of Genesis, we don't have any Jewish nation. We don't have any Jew. We've got 1,500 years of an Old Testament that doesn't deal with the Jew. Does that make sense? Let's go to, uh, let's go to Genesis chapter number 12. Now, of course... The first 12 chapters are part of the Old Testament, but we want to get an understanding of when we divide out the Bible, we need to really understand scripturally where things are placed. And in Genesis chapter number 12, watch what we see. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. You've got a real promise. Matter of fact, God says five times, verse number one, I will show thee. Verse number two, I will make of thee. Verse number two, I will bless thee. Verse number three, I will bless them and bless thee. See that? This is God giving out a promise based on what he is going to do. Go over to Genesis chapter number 15. This promise is is binded, if you will. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Abram said, Lord God. What wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad. And said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. 
And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece, one against the other, but the birds divided he not. When the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, an horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall inflict them four hundred years, and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterward shall they come out with, a, with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. The Lord did this, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates, Kenites and Kenizzites, Kadamites and Hittites, Perizzites and Rephamites, the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Jebusites. God binds his promise. We read all of Genesis 15 to show you that God made a promise to that nation that they were going to inherit land. Is the Bible divided between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Yes, except if the Old Testament deals with the Jew, what do you do with the first 11 chapters of Genesis where we're not dealing with the Jew? It comes into the scene, Genesis 12, the covenant is binded in Genesis chapter number 15. And now we say we're in the New Testament, right? Which we are, except we need to be careful because what do you think? God's promise doesn't still exist for that nation to get that land? Guess what they're going to get? That land. <laughs> well, I thought that Old Testament ended in Malachi. Well, it did, but you have to understand when God dispensed something and he made a promise to that nation, guess what that nation is going to get? God's promise. God's promise. Do you see when God makes a promise and even though he dispensed it out in the Old Testament, it's not done away with. It just has yet to fully come to pass and fully and completely be fulfilled. It's not done away with. Like we talked about last week, the dispensing of truth doesn't end. There's divisions that we can look at starting and ending points, but we need to be careful saying when God dispenses truth that it ends. And that was the big point we tried to make uh, last week. Uh, get Hebrews 9. Christ came. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. Never sinned. Died on the cross. Paid our sin debt. Rose again. Started the New Testament church. He's going to meet his church. Call up. We're going to meet in the air and all that. And throughout all of that, what Jesus Christ has done and is doing and then will do. Guess what still is going to be fulfilled? 
that nation getting that land. So you see how that dispensing of that truth still is playing out. <clears throat> okay, so you get your Old Testament, your New Testament, right? Old Testament starts in Genesis chapter 1 1. And if it deals with the Jew, except we already just talked about that. Now let's fast forward it to the New Testament. Does it start in Matthew 1 1? Well, yes, but no. <laughs> yes, it does. You flip the page and it says New Testament, Matthew 1 1. Except let's read Hebrews chapter 9 and. Let's see what Hebrews chapter 9 says. We'll read verse number 14. Look what it says. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead, otherwise is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. Does the New Testament start in our Bible in Matthew 1 1? Yes. But does the New Testament start in Matthew 1 1? No. Why? Jesus Christ hasn't died yet. <laughs> it's the same concept we looked at when we dealt with that nation of Israel. Matter of fact, we've only got the ending two or three chapters of Matthew, of Mark, of Luke, and of John, where Jesus already paid the price on Calvary. Everything else in the Gospels, you know what we've got? We're reading in our New Testament, except the New Testament church hasn't started yet because Jesus, he's being born and then he's starting his earthly ministry and there's been no death of the testing. So when we divide out the Bible, Yes, we have an Old Testament and a New Testament. And there's that obvious division there. And yes, there's a difference between law and grace. And that's why we're doing this lesson now after we did all of those lessons on the law. Yes, there is the division of law versus grace. But the biggest division that we need to recognize is Jesus Christ manifest in a body of flesh. Before that happens. And now Jesus Christ manifest in a body of flesh. And now everything after that. Happens. When he. You, you could learn about God. You could read the, the Old Testament scriptures. But there's a huge dividing line that's drawn when now eternal life is manifest in a body of flesh and human life can touch and talk with and communicate with and hang out with 
eternal life. That's a huge dividing line. The incarnation of Jesus Christ is the biggest division that we should come away with. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. What was that mystery? God was manifest in the flesh. Matthew 121, and she shall bring forth a son, that's Mary, and shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Wow. And the word was made flesh and dwelt where? Among us. It's powerful. And it's a big division. Old Testament, yeah, we have words. New Testament, we've got the word, <laughs> the incarnate word. That's a very, very powerful dividing line. So to rightly divide the word of truth, we must recognize the time before Christ came in a body of flesh. And then and then the time after he came in a body of flesh. Let's let's get Hebrews two and Hebrews nine. Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 9. He had to come because when Adam fell, a world system was established on the earth. And there's a difference between the earth and the world. A system, a worldly system was established at the fall of man. And that worldly system, the first one we're going to talk about, was in place from the fall of man to Jesus Christ paying the sin debt on the cross of Calvary. Um, in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 1, all that talk about principalities and powers well, they had power from the fall of man to the cross of Christ. They, they did have power. They had their way. Um, a matter of fact, well, let's read Hebrews 2. Uh, well, no, let's do 1 Corinthians 15 first. Keep your finger in Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 9 and get 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verse 55. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory over death was wrought by Christ on the cross we all know that right but from the fall of man up until christ's victory on the cross people feared death those principalities and powers and that satanic system you were in bondage and you feared death hebrews 2 14 Hebrews 2.14, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the shame that through death 
he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil who had the power of death before Christ won the victory on the cross. The devil did. And people were enslaved by fear. Look at verse 15. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Hebrews 9. Hebrews chapter number 9, verse number 24. Hebrews 9, 24. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now, Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection marks the end of the world. Is that what he said in Hebrews 9? Well, what's all that about? It's about dividing now our worlds. <laughs> There's divisions in the Bible that talk about the ends of the world. So what I want you to get now is a world system was set up. The fall of man to the cross of Christ. People feared death. They were in bondage. The principalities and powers in Galatians and in Colossians, they had their way. And now Hebrews chapter 9, look who comes onto the scene, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of him, of himself. We were finally free spiritually from Satan because Christ put an end to it on the cross. And this is concerning the kingdom of God that is within. It's a spiritual kingdom. And that end of the world, that world system came to an end on the cross. His, his death, his resurrection, his victory over death marks the end of that first world system, at least that we're talking about now, done. Fall of man to the cross of Christ. Everybody got that time frame? End of the world. What he says in Hebrews 9, Christ, Christ conquers, conquers death. You don't have to fear death no more. Now get Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Because now along is going to come a new world order. Matthew chapter 13 Verse number 24. I want to read if this is this this is concerning now the kingdom of heaven. So we have two kingdoms. We went through most of this through the Matthew 24 and 25 stuff. But we have two kingdoms. We have the kingdom of God, which we just talked about. That is concerning within. It's a spiritual kingdom. Now we're going to switch gears. We're going to talk about the kingdom of heaven. That's a physical 
kingdom. And in Matthew 13, we're going to see that. Uh, stay with me. It'll all tie together. But another parable put he forth unto them, saying, this is verse 24. We're going to read to verse 39. So just stay with it. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. And when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye, read up, ye, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. And another parable put he forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven. You see that again? Verse 24, the kingdom of heaven. It's likened unto a man. And now we see verse 31, the kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. The second parable, all speaking of a physical kingdom parable, which indeed is the least of all seeds. And when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Another parable speaking unto them, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven. So we have these, this is the third physical kingdom of heaven parable. Likened unto a man, likened unto a grain of mustard seed, and now likened unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, he that soweth the good seed is the son of God, is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. At Christ's second coming, he is going to set up a literal, physical, earthly kingdom. And when he does that, it will mark the end of the world. Well, I thought we already had an end of the world. Yes, we did. That one world system that was set up ended and Christ defeated death. And there's a spiritual victory there. But when Christ died on the cross, a new world order was set up by Satan because he didn't, he couldn't have victory over death. He couldn't spiritually 
control. But you know what we have to live in? We have to live within this world system, and it still affects us. Is your soul saved? Yes. Is your, is your flesh saved? No. Uh, when you go to work, you're still saved, even though you're around a worldly crowd. And you're affected by all of that. You don't lose your salvation, but you still got to live within it. You know what God says? When I come the second time, I'm going to set up a kingdom and that's going to be defeated. Nobody's going to have to deal with that junk either. And he says it's going to be the end of the world. He's going to set up his kingdom. These are kingdom of heaven parables. When Christ comes a second time, he's going to come with us, his saints, and he is going to set up a literal physical kingdom. And the new world order is going to be done away with. There's going to be no spiritual power, no physical power from Satan. Matter of fact, he's going to be bound. You're going to bind him. Christ's death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, didn't stop the tares growing with the wheat. It's still going to go on. It didn't stop all of the unrighteousness and all of the sin that we see around this world. It didn't stop that. Now, anybody can be saved. But people complain, well, how come the world hasn't changed? Because Christ hasn't come back. That's why the world hasn't changed. You can witness for the Lord. You can live for Jesus Christ. You can support missions. You can support your local church. And we need to do all of that. But this world isn't changing until Christ comes back and sets up his physical kingdom. And he's going to return. And he's going to take the kingdom. Get Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. And Isaiah chapter 9. We'll do Isaiah chapter 9 first. Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6. Isaiah 9, 6. You all know this. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and here it is, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, is that in the Old Testament? It is in the Old Testament. Except it hasn't happened yet. It will happen. And he's going to set up that kingdom. Look at uh, Revelation 11. And verse number 15. And the seventh angel sounded. And there were great voices in heaven. Saying the kingdom. The kingdoms of this world. Are become. The kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The entire planet is going to be completely overturned when King Jesus comes back to set it up. 
And at that time, everyone will be free spiritually and free physically from Satan's world system influence. So Christ's victory on the cross was a dividing line in the sand where Satan's world system was halted. No more did people need to fear death. He conquered it. But after that, he had to change a little bit of his game in, in a sense. Um, okay. Get first Samuel chapter two and and first John chapter two. Get first Samuel chapter number two and get first John chapter number two. Let's see if we can get some of these thoughts tied together here. First Samuel chapter number two verse Number eight. He raiseth, uh, verse number seven, the Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory for the pillars of the earth are the lord's and he hath set the world upon them we have two well there's a couple of distinctions here one is you have the earth and you have the world and what we see here is this world is set upon the earth and well what are the pillars of the earth it seems to me, if you look at verse 9, it's his saints. He will keep the feet of his saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength shall no man prevail. But to draw out what we're trying to get tonight is we have a difference between the earth and the world. Matter of fact, we're going to do a, a lesson in, in one of the Sunday schools coming up uh, about defining a little bit more uh, dividing out the world, dividing out the meaning of the word world. But for tonight, we're looking at the earth versus the world. In Psalms 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. The earth that God created, nothing wrong with it. Go explore every part of it that you can. Find a cave, find a beach, find a lake, find a... Go have fun enjoying God's creation. Okay? Go explore it. Look at verse John 2, though. Here's what you don't want to explore. 1 John 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. You know what I'm recommending you don't do and I'm recommending myself not to do? Explore the world. 
We don't need more lust of the flesh. We don't need more pride of life. We don't need any of this stuff. Don't mess with it. God's handiwork, his created earth, explore that. That's, that's beautiful to watch and look at. So we got the earth versus the world. We need to make that distinction to rightly divide. Um, let's talk about before Calvary and after Calvary. Let me show you something in Mark. Go to Mark. Okay. I want you to notice some things. This is before the cross of Calvary. Look at, look at verse number five. And always day and night, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Look at Mark. Go to Mark chapter eight. I want you to take note in your mind that this is before the cross. Mark chapter eight. Look at verse 16. I wrote down some wrong verses. But what I was trying to get at is in, in, in Mark, you, you, and, and before before the cross, you had people are cutting themselves, people are possessed with devils, and what's Jesus doing? He's casting these devils out. These are physical ailments that people are dealing with, and what's interesting is after the cross of Calvary, Things change, and the warnings change. I'm sorry I didn't give you, I, I wrote some verses down, but now let's go, I want you to go to 2 Corinthians, because I got these written down right, and let's look at them. 2 Corinthians, it's chapter number 11. It's 2 Corinthians, chapter number 11. Look at, look at this now. This is after the cross. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. So the divisions I'm trying to make here, the warning is different. We don't see you got to watch out for being possessed of the devil and seeing some guy on the side of the road cutting himself. And look, I get it. People are um, you know, addicted to drugs and all this stuff is happening to them. But the warning we get in 2 Corinthians 11 is God has changed his game. Our, our Satan has changed his game. He has become religious to deceive. Now, you can make the argument that he always has been. But when you see a man possessed with a devil and you see him cutting himself and he's out of it, you, you, you see all that before the cross. Now, after the cross, look at verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 11. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. You have to watch out for deceitful religious people. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to to their works so this whole new apostolic reformation and that whole crowd the whole word of faith movement that crowd the name it and claim it crowd that's the warning that we are given by god that we need to watch out for religious people they're going to transform themselves and they're going to deceive you you don't have to worry about the guy on the side of the street cutting himself. 
You've got to worry about the man behind the pulpit telling you false, deceptive, damnable heresy. That's the point I'm trying to get to. That's what you got to watch out for. Ministers. That's why you better know your Bible. You better know how to divide out your Bible so that you know what to look for. First Timothy 4 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. The warning is a spirit that will seduce you. Welcome to contemporary Christian devil music is what it is. It's doctrines of devils. And they lure people in and seduce them. There's a spirit behind all that music. There's a spirit behind all those ministers. Who are they? Well, Stephen Furtick, Joel Osteen, all those women that uh, Joyce Meyer and uh, Paula White. And uh, you just you, you shout out some names. It'd be, it, they're all a bunch of fakers. <laughs> the Hillsong music crowd, all of them. Getting Christians involved in things that aren't Christian is it's a seducing spirit. And we were warned by God that they're going to be transformed into ministers. I'm telling you, our, our, our warning today is you got to watch out for lying ministers. We are in the new world order. And after Christ defeated the end of the world on the cross, yes, he defeated death. Yes, our souls can be saved. All of that is great. But now we've got the new world order. And, and by the way, it started in 33 AD after Christ died on the cross. And it comes in all sorts of ways. Well, it's got to be the Roman Catholic Church. It is. It's a branch. Uh, it, it's a branch off the trunk. Well, it's got to be the Illuminati. Yeah, it is. It's a branch off the same trunk. Mystery Babylon is all the false stuff. It just shows itself in a different face. But you got to watch out. Satan rules by counterfeit deception. And that new world order will be in effect until Christ comes the second time. And then it's going to end. He's going to banish Satan from the earth. And he says the world, it will be the end of the world. End of the world. End of the world. <laughs> okay. Now this next part, if you don't like it, then that's okay. But the first two parts, everybody got, right? From, from the fall to the cross, you had a world system that Christ ended on the cross. From the cross till Christ's second coming, we have a new world system that's in order. It's still controlled by Satan. He only has temporary control. Okay. And it's deception just amped up in the form of spirituality and religion. Go to Second Peter chapter number three. Second Peter chapter number three. I believe this is the first world order. Second Peter chapter number three. This might leave you with more questions than answers. And if you don't see it this way, that's okay. But let's read the verse. 
Second Peter chapter three, look at verse number four. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be to be reserved unto judgment and spared not the old world. But save Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them with an overthrow, making them an unsample unto those that should live ungodly. Now, Okay, now go to Second Peter. That was chapter two. Now go to Second Peter, chapter number three. Second Peter, chapter number three, and let's read uh, verse number four. And saying, "Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this, they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God." The heavens were of old and the earth standing, standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that was then being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved into fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now. I believe there was a the, the first world system was an order that predated Adam's fall. Now, if you go back to Genesis chapter number six, let me just point something out here. Look at verse number 16, Genesis chapter six. Uh, look at verse 17. And behold, I, even I do bring a flood of waters where? Upon the earth. Look at Genesis 7 verse number 6. And Noah was 600 years old when the flood of the waters was upon the earth. Look at verse number 10. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. Uh, 17. And the flood was 40 days upon the earth. Genesis chapter 9 verse number 11. Last one. At the end of the verse. Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. We have a flood on the earth. Everybody sees that pretty clear, right? Go back to Second Peter. Let's look at that again. Stay with me. Second Peter chapter 3. Look at verse 6. Whereby the world that was then being overflowed with water perished. I believe this was a world system that predated Adam's fall. And I know traditionally we use this as a cross-reference to go to Genesis. But this system was in opposition to the Lord. And I got nothing else for you other than the world that was before. That world system. When Satan fell, what did he, what did he bring? A third of his boys with him. And that world system, God did away with it. God did away with it. That's what it seems to be in Second Peter 3, verse 6. 
because I really think there's a difference between the world and the earth. And in Genesis 6, we see the earth was flooded. But was there a flood that predated that one? That's up to you to make your decision on that. But I believe that's that first world system Satan set up was with the fall and God put an end to it. He continued now with his second world system that went from Adam, the fall of Adam to the cross. And Christ put it, he put an end to the world and he made a victory over death. And he, and, he, and he now is transformed into a minister of light to deceive through religion, through ministers, through an angel of light. And guess what's going to keep popping up? Tears, tears, tears. They're not going away. Wickedness, 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 not going away until the second coming of Christ. And then he's going to end that new world order. And then lastly, the final world is... what we can get excited about for the sake of time we won't turn there i'll just read the passages it's the world without end it's the world without end isaiah 45 says but israel shall be saved in the lord with an everlasting salvation ye shall not be ashamed nor confounded world without end and then ephesians 3 21 unto him be glory in the church by christ jesus Throughout all ages, world without end. And you know who that's for? Me and you. Because we're in Christ. Because we're in Christ. Now, besides the first order, I say this flood, I believe there was a different, a separate flood than the flood of the earth. There was a flood. It flooded, God just got rid of Satan's world system. Besides that, if you don't, if you can't park on that, okay, no worries. But the fall of man to the cross, better get on board and understand that. Christ defeated death on the cross. End of the world. There's a dividing line there. Do you have to fear death anymore? No man has to. Death wears thy sting, a grave wears thy victory. Now, after the cross, this new world order, we're not going to get out of the physical wickedness. This physical world that we have to live in, it's not going away until when? The end of the world, which happens when? Christ's second coming, which will be coming with him as, as his saints. The last world, the last world, is a world without end. Who's that for? You've trusted Christ? You're part of that. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.